You are listening to the Overflow Podcast, a ministry of First Denton. For more information on Overflow, please visit overflowdenton.org. Uh, hey, if you got a Bible, let's go to Genesis 37 just for fun, right? Genesis 37, and we'll probably start in verse 12 or 13 here uh, in just a couple minutes. Uh, Genesis, that's the first, first book, in case you don't know. Uh, and then just kind of like, you know, if you get somewhere in Matthew, just keep going left a long way. It'll be good, right? I say that for a reason, and I know it sounds like I'm joking around, but like I did not grow up in church. And so because of that, uh, I, when I started going to a church, it was a very traditional church. Uh, and I didn't go until I was like 13, 14 years old. And I remember when the pastor would say, open your Bibles to the book of Matthew, I had no idea where that was. And so I felt really weird being the dude that went to the table of contents. Does that make sense? Because you look a lot more godly when you can just kind of go there. So I just think it's just a lot easier to say, hey, go to the left and you get there real quick, right? Genesis, first book, beginning, right? Hey, I'm excited to be here. How are y'all doing? Good? Yeah, good. Uh, hey, I, I really am excited. I've been looking forward to hanging out. Those of you who don't know me, my name is Wade. I'm excited to be here. I get to come every once in a while, uh, and that's super, super cool. Uh, I left Birmingham today, and it was uh, 68 degrees, and um, somehow or another this happened. Uh, it's like two degrees outside. And, uh, and I wore my short sleeve shirt. I do have a fleece, but it's my Alabama fleece, and I didn't want to offend any of y'all. But uh, it's super, listen, c- could not wait to be in this place. I know uh, that we've already had a chance this semester to even see God do some great things. I want to just say some things off of my heart real quick. Um, you know, I was just sitting over there, and I was just hanging out, and, and I had a chance to just see you worshiping and, and doing this. And I know that uh, in overflow, this has kind of become the norm. You know, you've got like hundreds of college students just gathering in at 8 o'clock when you could do 50 million other things. And we come here to worship the Lord because he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And, uh, and that is a beautiful thing. But my hope is that you don't, you don't miss the anointing of this service. It's a beautiful thing, and I, I, I get a chance to travel the country a lot, just like Jared and, and Wags do. As we travel, you see a lot of things happen where God's anointed it, and sometimes just people just come into a room and hang out just because it's what they've done for six years. And there's a huge difference in God anointing something and people just showing up out of habit. So listen, it's my joy to be able to share some things with you. Uh, and let me tell you where I'm coming from, my heart tonight, because i got to get a lot of stuff off my heart. I, I haven't been here in a long time, so like... I've got like 18 sermons to give you. I'll just do like 12 of them. It'll be fine. Um, You know, I was just at a conference. I spoke at the Arkansas Evangelism Conference. And those of you who don't know, and you probably don't know, there's a guy named Jim Cimbala. If you don't know Jim Cimbala, go get a book called Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. Uh, It'll rock your world if you haven't read it. There's a follow-up to it called Fresh Power. But if you've ever been in New York City, the famous church up there, or one of them at least, is called the Brooklyn Tabernacle. And it's interesting because uh, Jim Cimbala started this church when he, in 1976, and it was funny because I was just I just spent hours with him. We were speaking at a conference together, and he just started sharing. He's like, "Man, when I started this church back in '76, the only reason you came to Brooklyn is if you were either there by accident or you were doing a drug deal." He said, "We couldn't get anybody to come to our church, and now they do five services with probably 3,000 people that come." And God has just anointed that place, and they've got the famous Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir, which his wife leads. But it's amazing to me that a man at like 70 years old still has the excitement and passion for the Lord than he did when he was like 20. And it was interesting because he, he kept watching how I would speak, and he was just like, wait, I, I like you. You're kind of like on the edge a little bit, and you like to have fun. 
He goes, but just let me give you this word. He said, man, I think a lot of pastors and a lot of speakers miss this. He goes, you need to speak to people from your heart. He said, people need a word. They don't come to a service. They don't come to church for the hope that you're going to tell them something very intellectual. They come because they need the Lord. And he said it like this. If you speak from your heart, you will reach their hearts. If you speak from your head, you will reach their head. He goes, we're trying to change lives, not create an intellectual church. And so I just thought, man, I think that's where I want to be tonight. So I always freak out. Uh, Zach when I come in because half the time I'm coming in here listen I've got a thousand sermons I can pull from but I'm just like writing new stuff all the time and I'm just like it may not work it might not work and I'm always taking notes I was finishing my sermon over there and Zach's going are you just now writing it right now and it freaks him out a little bit but I just kind of figure God's gonna anoint it and it'll be okay right yeah so I know how it's been so far uh, I know Zach got up and I, I've been watching uh, the first service that he did uh, about Isaiah 53 on the prediction of Jesus it was an amazing sermon, and it's an amazing passage in itself. I mean, to think of the unbelievable accuracy of what it means that they predicted not only that Jesus was going to show up, but every little thing that was going to happen perfectly. I mean, it's like one of those things that's like winning the lottery 87 times in one day. And they predicted him coming, and so we knew that this was our king, and it's great. And then it was the, the next week that Shane came in, and he talked about dating and relationships, which it's funny for me because every time you go to a college thing, people are always talking about dating. And it's like one of those things that my wife goes, why are they always talking about dating? I go, it's because they mess up dating all the time. That's why we're always talking about dating. But, but, but listen, Shane came in and talked about relationships, and listen. Just to let you know, Shane is my good friend. When Zach called me and said, who do we need to get? I said, you need to get Shane. When you see Shane up here, he's like one of the nicest dudes on stage. Have y'all ever noticed that before? One of the nice, he's actually like that all the time. It's almost sickening. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like seriously, man, I mean, you look at him sometimes and you're like, are you ever down? And he's like, yeah, but I praise the Lord anyway. It's just how he is. And I'm just like, come on, man, you can't always be that way, but he's that way when you're eating dinner with him. He's the same dude on stage. It's a beautiful thing. And then Zach came up and followed it up last week uh, with the idea of community and what that means. And, uh, and listen, th there's nothing more important in understanding church than to know that you need to be not only part of the church, but be the church. Does that make sense? I made a statement here a year ago. Jesus Christ didn't die on a cross so you would go to church. He did it so you'd be the church, right? And the only way that you learn that and understand that is to become part of a community. In other words, church is you. It's not a group, but it's a group of people getting together. And when you understand the New Testament version of church, it is people gathering together, understanding each other. The way Ephesians puts it is, we are bearing with one another in love. You want to tell you what that means? It means half the people in that group are going to get on your every nerve. There's going to be somebody in that group complaining all the time. And you're just going, what in the world, this person? But if you wait a year, you're going to be the one who's complaining. That's the idea of what community is, right? We bear with one another in love, and we get to the point to where we learn from each other. Because it doesn't matter if you've been in church and been the church for 15 years or 15 weeks. We all have experiences that can take us deeper in Christ. And so my hope is that we have a chance to go a little bit further into that. Because my thought for you is this. It's one thing to be a part of a community. But what you find out is this. When you start getting really diving down into community. And you start becoming part of the church. You start to figure out that... Uh, being a Christian is not easy. 
I know that sounds weird, but when I was growing up, and I didn't go to church until I was 13 years old, but I remember hearing all these preachers stand up, and they would, you know, the easiest thing you're ever going to do is give your life to Jesus Christ. And I figured out now that I'm a, a, an old man, like they lied to me. That's not the easiest thing you're going to do. The hardest thing you're ever going to do is to give your life to Christ. You know why? Because you are now no longer your own. You don't choose if you date or who you date. You don't choose what you want to do in life. It's all led by the Spirit of God. He's trying to guide you down a way because he has an ultimate will for your life. And you are part of his sovereignty that he is trying to do something in you and to do something through you. But the idea that the Christian life is easy, it means just people just don't get it. And sometimes there's a simplicity in it that I think that people don't gather. I'll, I'll put it to you like this so you understand it. This is my camp t-shirt. If you can't read this, change universities quickly, right? It says camp. Let, let, let me tell you where it came from. And it's, it's a joke, but it's dead serious. It was one of those things about maybe 15, 20 years ago when I started traveling. Uh, every Christian was taking t-shirts and they were copying the world. And there was a simplicity to do it, but, but I just thought it was crazy. Everything copied the world and everybody loved those shirts. And when I say that, the first Christian t-shirt I ever saw uh, was a kickoff of CK1 cologne, and it said, Christ the King is number one. I remember going, oh, that's so sweet. And then, then I saw one that was a kickoff of Tommy Hilfiger, and it said, Tommy Hellfighter. I thought, wow, can't wait to wear that shirt. And then it got to the point, I'm not even kidding, where it, there was a kickoff of Budweiser, and the shirt said, God is wiser. It was at that point that I wanted to scream out to the Christian world, get an original idea for crying out loud. So I said, you know what? I'm going to make a t-shirt in Christianity that means nothing, and I'm going to sell it. And I did it as a joke. Like, weirdly, the, the end of the story is I think I sold 20,000 of these shirts before it was done. But I made 10 of them to confuse a conference I was going to. Because I knew when I go to this conference, when you go to conferences where there's four speakers, eight musicians, everybody is selling something with Jesus' name on it. It's the way it is. They got belt buckles for Jesus, underwear for Jesus, you name it, it's there. And it was one of those things that I made sure, I mean, I made sure at this conference, I want my table, my product table, which was a joke. It was that, I want my table to be the last table everybody sees before they walk in uh, to this conference. And it was weird because you would watch people and I was smiling because people would walk in and go, Godweiser, that's awesome. I'm getting that for grandma. I mean, Tommy Hellfighter, woohoo! And they would get to my table and right before they walked into the service, they'd go, uh, what's that mean? And here's what I said at least 2,000 times. Nothing! Totally confused the entire crowd. Everybody was walking to the service going, man, I just don't get it. I was having joy confusing people. Does that make sense to you? Just to see people going, I don't understand. It made me happy in that moment because I wasn't there to sell shirts. I was there to make you think for a little bit. And I was just sitting behind the table going, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden it was weird because it was a student conference and this little seventh grade kid, it was funny, he was like standing behind me and that freaks me out. <laughs> he turned around, I was like, what are you doing? He's like, hey man, hey, I like your t-shirts, man. I said, man, I really appreciate that. <laughs> He goes, uh, what's it mean? I go, nothing. It's 15 bucks. You want one? And he ran off like I was going to beat him up or something. And then I think he sent his mother. Some old lady comes up and is like, hey, I really like that shirt. What's it mean? I go, nothing. It's 15 bucks. You want one? And they ran off. You know. And then, then I had people like picking up the back of the shirt, thinking there's like a verse on the back that says, and God loves you more when you're at camp or something like that. And it was one of those things where I was just like, I don't know how many times I have to say to people, dude, the shirt's 15 bucks. All I want is your money. Does that make sense? Like, I'm not here. And it was a joke. I'm doing it just as a prop, and it's a joke. And it was like three days into this conference. 
I'm standing behind my table watching people go in, and they're just confused as could be. And inside, I'm going, I love you, God. And I turn around, and that little seventh grade kid is there again. And I turn around and look at this kid. I go, dude, what are you doing? And you know how, you know, seventh grade kid, nothing. I go, hey, bro, I know it sounds weird. Can you do nothing in front of me? Because it freaks me out when you stand behind me, man. He looks at me and goes, uh, Mr. Morris, um, I, um, I just want you to know that I still, I'm still really like your shirt. I look at him and I went, oh, well, I, I really appreciate the fact that you like my shirt. And he looks at me and goes, I've been thinking about it for a few days and I figured it out. I go, what did you figure out? He goes, like, like what your shirt means. And I go, I mean, in my mind I'm thinking, how, do you, how did you figure out nothing? Does that make sense? Like, <laughs> you spent three days to figure nothing out. And he goes, no, no, I figured it out. And I went, speak to me, a wise one. What does my shirt mean? He goes, it's an acrostic, right? Like every letter stands for a word. And in my mind, I thought, dude, are you being serious? Like you've got to be digging hard. Like you've got no friends, do you, bro? I mean, is this what you did for three days? And he goes, yeah. And I, and I just wanted the kid to go away from me. And I went, you're right, dude. I, I didn't want to tell anybody. And shh, don't tell anybody this, but it is an acrostic. He goes, so I'm right. I said, yes, you are right. He goes, what's it stand for? It stands for Christians are mean people. That's what it stands for. This little kid freaked out, right? He was like, oh. And I looked at him, I said, dude, it's 15 bucks. Do you want one? And he bought a shirt. So I was like, okay, that's fine. I've got nine shirts left. It's good. And the next thing I know, people started buying the shirts. I was like, no, 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 no. This is for me to make fun of you. You're not supposed to buy the shirts. And the next thing I know, it was weird. It was like this like movement that happened at this conference because this group came up and we go, hey, man, we bought a shirt. And we're going to take it back and put it up in our little youth room. And I go, we, we, like, we, came, we came up with like, you know, new meaning for it. And I go, what's that? And they were like, can a mouse pee? And I was like, okay, that's fine, you know, whatever. You know, there was a couple godly girls that came up to me and they were like, we've got another one, you know, can all men pray? And I thought, no, but that's cute too. <laughs> and listen, in 24 hours, I heard everything you could imagine. I mean, seriously, every non-spiritual thing, every spiritual thing from like chicken and mashed potatoes to, you know, caffeine accelerates my pimples to, you know, cannibals ate my people to Calvinists are my problem, whatever it was. Or Calvinists are my people, however you stand. Whatever, don't want to offend you. I heard everything you can imagine. Christ always makes peace. I mean, I, I heard it all. And while I was doing that, it was interesting because I saw these students start to have fun with this shirt, and it hit me. And I remember on the last, last time, of the conference, I stood on the last day of the conference, and I said, hey, I know this is going to sound really weird, but I've actually been thinking about what you've been doing. I go, By figuring out this shirt, I think you just figured out what the Christian life is supposed to be. And as they kind of sat there in silence thinking I was going to say something really deep, it wasn't deep. I just looked at them and said, here's the deal. Christianity um, is not just a prayer that you pray. It's not just a church you go to. It's not a shirt that you wear. Christianity is supposed to be a lifestyle to be lived at some point, right? And it's in understanding that that you see there is a simplicity to it, but... It never works out perfectly the way you think it's going to. In other words, when you think about the idea of community, and Zach's saying that, let's get involved in community. Even in community, even in church, it gets really tough. It's interesting because in Genesis, you're going to read about a guy. And if you haven't, I want to sum this up for you. But a guy by the name of Joseph, interesting guy. His father Jacob had 12 kids. And he was known as the favorite son, and you probably know him because you've heard about it on Broadway. He had the coat of many colors. 
He had a coat of many colors because he was the favorite son. It was the way to say, this one is my very favorite. And it's interesting because not only was he the favorite son, but he was gifted by God in a really big way. He could interpret dreams. To the point to where people started to seek him out. And he even had dreams about what God was going to give him. If you read about it, he knew that God gave him a dream that he was going to do something huge. It's weird when you read about the dream, and he probably couldn't interpret it correctly. There's no way he could have figured out it was what it was in the end. But you find out in his life, there were a lot of ebbs and there were a lot of flows. And you would think that a man like that, that's gifted by God, somebody that's called by God, should seem to have a really easy highway to get where God wants him to go. But that's not how God works. A lot of times God's trying to get our attention, and he allows things to happen to us to get our attention. But this is the first part of the story, and I want to read this to you, because if you haven't read it, it's interesting. If you have, it's just a good reminder. But in Genesis 37, let's start in verse 12. It said it like this. Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem in Israel, and they said to Joseph, in uh, Israel, and said to Joseph, as you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, and I'm going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said to him, go and see if all is well with your brothers, with the flocks, and bring, them, and bring back word to me. And then he sent him off to the valley of Hebron. In other words, the favorite son didn't have to work the fields. He just had to go make sure he told the dad that everybody else was doing it right. But he also would tell on his brothers. That's what you'll find out when you read the whole story. He would say if things were going well or things weren't going well. It goes a little bit further and said, when Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man uh, found him wandering around in the fields and they asked, what are you looking for? He responded, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they're grazing their flocks? They moved on from here, the man said. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan, another area. So Joseph went after his brothers and he found them in Dothan. But when they saw him at a distance, before he reached them, they had plotted to kill him. Interesting. Here comes the dreamer. Now, when you see that, that's being facetious. I mean, I mean, understand, Joseph, when he had dreams, always wanted them to know about his dreams. Hey, guess what? God gave me another dream. Want to hear about it? They got sick of hearing about it. Oh, there's that dreamer. Everybody wants him to interpret that dream. Oh, God only speaks to him. And they had this huge amount of jealousy going on. So when they said it like that, they were saying it. Well, here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of the cisterns or the pits. It's what something, into the pit. And let's throw him into one of the cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. In other words, what they're saying is this. Well, we can cut off the dreamer. I mean, if God's given him dreams, let's make sure that God doesn't give him dreams. And the way we're going to handle that is we're going to kill him. I mean, they're plotting to actually kill him. They were so sick of him being the favorite son, being the gifted one by God. In the end, we're just, we, we just want it all to go away. And here they were plotting to make sure just the dreams wouldn't happen. They wouldn't have to hear his name anymore. And then it says it like this. When, Drew, when Reuben heard this, that was one of the brothers, he tried to rescue them from their hands. Let's don't take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. He says, Those who, he says throw him into the pit here in the desert, but don't lay a hand on him. And then Reuben said this to rescue him from them and to take them back to the father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the richly ornamented robe that he wore, or the multicolored coat, and they took him and they threw him into the cistern or the pit, and the cistern was empty and there was no water in it. 
Let's go a little bit further because we're going to end up on the pit because there's a lot more to be said. He was thrown into the pit and sold as a slave. If you don't know his story, you might want to say, you might, he might have just said, you might as well have killed me. He went from the favorite son and the gifted by God and he gets thrown into the pit, gets sold as a slave. He ends up in a man named Potiphar's house. You think things are going well because Potiphar loved this guy. One thing you know about Joseph, he was gifted by God, but he always stood up for truth. And there was a point to where Potiphar, he was in the house as a slave. He said, I give you control of everything in my household. That's what you'll read about. And there was a point to where they said he was good looking. And Potiphar's wife decided that she wanted to have an affair with him. And he said, no, 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 I've got to stand up for truth. You know, I've heard it said before, standing up for the right thing is always better than falling for the wrong thing. And you think that's going to put you in the right place. But she ended up luring him in because he would not give in to her. And she told her husband anyway, that man just raped me. Look what he did. So Potiphar, who had gifted him, and he refused to go against, they ended up putting him in jail. So he goes from being sold as a slave to making it back on his feet. Somebody lies about him, and he goes right into jail. And it seems like the ebbs and flows are never going to stop. And then when he's in prison, all of a sudden the king needs some dreams interpreted. And they hear about this guy that can interpret dreams. And all of a sudden the flow started to come back up. And the Bible says at the end he became second in command of all of Egypt. He basically was the king. He wasn't called the king, but he ran it all. The guy who was the favorite son, gifted by God, we know great things are going to happen to him, falls into the pit and it's over. He gets himself back up and then he ends up in jail and it's over again. And then all of a sudden, he has a chance to go exactly where God wants him to be. Can I just say this to you? God's will is always going to be done in your life if you allow that to happen. There are ebbs and flows in all of our lives. And as you go through this thing called community, this thing called church, there has to be that point that you stop for a second and we learn something from Joseph's life. Because if you haven't been thrown into the pit at some point in your life, you're going to. And my hope is that maybe you can learn some things that will help you rise above it the way Joseph did. So if you're taking notes, just write down a few thoughts. If you're not taking notes, just consider it like this. I, I believe that God sometimes allows us to be thrown into the pit, number one, to teach us patience. He's trying to teach us patience. I mean, if you ever were to read uh, you know, Proverbs 15, 18, it says it like this, for quarrels always cause problems, but patience always brings peace. Patience always brings peace. Quarrels, arguing, causes problems, but patience always brings peace. In other words, Sometimes we have to wait upon the Lord, and I think we don't like that. It's one of the biggest problems in Christianity. It's one of the biggest problems in ministry. And you say, well, wh where are you getting that from? Can, can I just say this to you? Joseph was human. Could you imagine having a dream by God that he's going to do something huge in your life? And by the way, we know the end of the story. Huge. Couldn't even explain where he ended up. It's the story of all stories. I mean, apart from Jesus, you look at this story and you're thinking, no way. That, apart from God, no way that happens, man. But it's an incredible story. But he had a dream, knew that God had something for him. But when he started having these dreams, he was 17 years old. 
I got a weird feeling he didn't think it was going to take decades to get where God wanted him to be. I mean, could you imagine that? I mean, what if God came to you and said, hey, guess what? I'm going to let you preach in front of millions of people and millions of people are going to get saved. All of us would say, let me be, please, God, give me that opportunity. But by the way, you need to be in prison for 12 years, be beaten for 10 years, and then I'm going to let you get there. See, if he told us that story, none of us would like say yes. A lot of the times God allows us to be in these waiting places in life to teach us patience so that we can learn. In other words, in God's sovereignty, God always knows the whole story. God knew that Joseph was going to be second in command of the entire region, but he couldn't tell Joseph that at 17 because he'd be the most arrogant guy in the world. He was like, listen, there's some things that you need to learn before you become the king because if you can get there, or the second command, because if you get there, beautiful things can happen if you go through the process of understanding some things. But once again, we go back to that word patience. I've told you the story before, and I'm going to tell you the end of it. But I told you my daughter, Eden, my oldest daughter, it's weird, she's 15 now, she just got her driver's permit, <laughs> beware. But... She wants to be a surgeon. I told you that. I told you the time, and there was a time where she can, well, I don't think I want to be a surgeon anymore. I said, well, what do you want to be? She goes, I don't know. You're going to be a surgeon then. If you don't have a plan, I'm going to give you a plan. You can't randomly live life. We were talking about intentionality, right? But I had a conversation with her because she still wants to be a surgeon, and I said this, you can't just tell me you want to be a surgeon. To say the word, the phrase out loud, I want to be a surgeon, tells me 15 things. It tells me you're not going to have a social life for a long time. You better like science and math, even if you don't like it, and you better be pretty good at them, too. It tells me you're going to have to spend time, probably 10 years in residency, with no sleep whatsoever. You're going to have to work 100 hours a week just so that you can try to get the chance to get a residency somewhere so that you can have your own practice. Then you got to just come up with the idea of, can you get money for college in the first place? It's weird. Just to say I want to be a surgeon... That means there's 15 years of where you got to get. So many things have to happen. You've got to have a certain amount of patience. And by the way, I want her to have that patience because if somebody's going to cut on me, I need you to know what you're doing. See, I think what happens is we always get a small glimpse of what God has for us and we want it instantly. You see, when I was growing up in ministry, I mean, the only way you could start off doing anything was you were an intern. And then if you were really lucky, you got to get up and pray on stage. We're living in a day now where guys graduate from college or seminary, and they're just like, woohoo, let's do this thing. In other words, I go to conferences a lot, and I sit backstage with a lot of college guys, and they'll sit around and say, hey, man, hey, wait, you lose your voice? I'm ready to go in, man. That's interesting. Like, what have you done to earn the right to be in front of 2,000 people? I've had one kid in all the years I've done ministry, and I actually think this kid could do it. I was backstage, he was 19 years old, and this guy was pastoring all of the people, the personalities on stage. He would sit there and preach us sermons, and I actually said to this one kid, hey bro, if you wanna go out and speak tomorrow morning, I'll let you do it, because I think you're better than me, bro. And you know what this kid said to me? My time will come, you're called to be here right now, go for it. I was so thrown off because I don't even see that attitude anymore. We're living in a day where we have to have everything. Sometimes God has to force us into the pit to slow us down a little bit. 
That's exactly what's happening here. Yes, it's part of God's sovereignty, but God, when he sees what you have, he's trying to get you there. There's stories all over the Bible. I mean, when you think about Peter, Peter denied Jesus three times, but still preached at Pentecost. But by the way, John 21 had to come into play where he goes up to Peter and says, whoa, 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 do you love me? Because see, before you preach at Pentecost, I've got to know you love me. So the idea is God, in the midst of even giving us a piece of what we're going to have, is trying to teach us patience. Because in the end, patience will give us peace. Why? Because when you're worried about what's going to happen tomorrow, it always causes anxiety and depression. That's just the truth. When you are so focused on what God has for you 10 years from now, you forget on what God has for you today. I tell people, when you look into the Bible, it says that. Don't worry about tomorrow. Today has problems in its own, but forget the problems. Can I say it like this? When you are focused on tomorrow, you're totally missing out on God's will for today. Just live in today. That's the idea of what he's trying to say. So being in the pit not only teaches us patience, but when you see Joseph's life here, number two, if you're taking note, it gives us time to rid ourselves of pride. To rid ourselves of pride. 1 Corinthians 10-12 is interesting because we know the verse. It's very famous. But pride is something that comes before the fall. In other words, when you think too highly of yourself, it says, take heed lest you fall. The idea of the Christian life is to realize that you don't have it all figured out. I've used the word here before, but it's even better here. You need to understand the word vulnerability is a beautiful thing in the Christian life. Vulnerability means, God, I wish I knew how to get through today, but I cannot without you. Lord, I wish I could do that sermon perfectly, but I can't do it without you. The entire Christian life is based off of dependence, not arrogance. Does that make sense? And you say, well, where does that come in? In Joseph's life, uh, can I just be honest with you? As much as Joseph's story is really good, uh, he was a bit arrogant. He loved being the favorite son. You know why? Boy, he wore that coat and made sure everybody saw it. He loved being gifted by God. If you just back up a chapter, you know, you'll find out three times he went to his brothers. Hey, guess what? Can I tell you what God told me again? Just like I told you, he's constantly telling everybody how much God wants to use him. No wonder they threw him in the pit. They were sick of him. But the idea of that is, it's almost like God was saying, you know what, I'm, I'm going to let you fall into this pit, and I'm going to let you understand some things, because I've got to rid you. You see what I have for you, but I've got to rid you of the pride, because do you know the best part of Joseph's story is when he's second in command, the brothers that threw him into slavery and stripped him of that, they show up on the scene again, and he had grace for them. You see, if you're proud, here's what you say. Hey, look where I am. I'm going to send three men over here to kill you. story wouldn't be as good, would it? It's amazing when you always hear the stories of the people that did somebody wrong, and that person makes it in life, and they reach out and say, but I love you no matter what. His brothers were hungry. He gave them something to eat. They were going through a drought, and he said, I got you. I am powerful to do this, and instead of coming against you, I'm going to be there for you. Do you know the only way he could get there is for God to allow him to get rid of his pride? Can I just be honest? Uh, when you fall into like prison and you fall into the pit and things start happening to you, that stuff just starts to rid you of who you think you are. Have you ever had that time in your life that you think you got it figured out, but you really don't? But you didn't know it till later on. There was a guy that just said it recently, so it's not coming from me. So let me just say this. He said it like this. Do you know what it's like 
to be anointed and to not be appointed? Do you know what it's like to be gifted by God and know that you are gifted and wrote the greatest songs ever, but everybody still wants to sing all Chris Tomlin songs? And you sit back and go, but his songs are simple. I can learn them in two seconds. That's probably why you're singing them. But do you know what it's like to study more than anybody else? And to not be, see, see, God takes us through things because he knows the end of the story. We fight through things because we're not sure what's happening. It's about living in the moment. It's about the simplicity of it. I've got a friend of mine, he's a pastor in Michigan, and he's really been struggling with his son. His son is 28 years old. He lives in Chicago. And his son is always bragging on stuff. I'm going to be a millionaire. I'm going to make all this money. I'm going to do this. And his son, at one time, was going to be a missionary, and, and, and just drugs happened in his life. And it got to the point that it became addictive. He was about to end up in rehab. And I talked to him just a few weeks ago, and it was interesting because he brought his son Justin in to, to, to Michigan right before he went into rehab, and he said this, son, I just feel like God wants me to tell you this. If you look through the Bible, just be humble. You're going to go through a tough time in rehab. Just be humble. You need to learn some things. Just be humble. It sounds like a good message, but the problem is his 28-year-old son stood up and said this. Well, Dad, I think I'm pretty humble. Let me just give you a little, this is a quick sidebar real quick. If you tell people you're humble, you're not humble. I mean, that's like saying, I'm more humble than you. It doesn't work that way, okay? But all of a sudden, this guy got taken down a notch because he stood up and said this, I think I'm pretty humble. And his mother lost her cookies. She stood up and said it. She said, Justin, you're my son, and you're the most arrogant person I've ever met in my entire life. She goes, all you do is go around telling everybody how rich you're going to be. All you do is, I live in Chicago, look at this job. And she looks at him because it's true. She goes, I am the chief nursing officer of one of the biggest hospitals in the world. I don't go around telling everybody that. I just live that. She goes, I make $250,000 a year. I don't need to tell you that. I just earn it every day. She goes, being humble is living and not having to tell everybody about it. Think about it. Joseph's life. His old idea was, oh, I, boy, I've got dreams. Hey, hey, pastor, put me in. I can preach really good, man. Here's what I figured out, and this is just a personal thing. God's will is always going to be done in my life, in your life, but it's going to happen on his timing and not your timing. It's the idea that you sit back and realize he's taking us through the process of things to get us to a certain place that brings us to the last point. Number three, being in the pit and falling in the pit like Joseph, it's not your punishment, it's the process. And I think we miss that. Because I've met more people that are in what we are going to call, a, let me call it a waiting period. Seminary, Zach, you're in seminary right now? Like seminary is like the waiting period. Now, the difference with you and most people in seminary, you at Southwestern, that's where I went. Okay, the idea is you're doing ministry every day. So like everybody is like wanting to cut your legs out from under you, trust me. Because most of them are there and they're in a waiting period of what does God have for me? God lets some people see it and some people he doesn't let see. And there's a lot of people that sit back and they beat themselves up because they are in a horrible place in life. Think about Joseph. Here he is, man, God's got this huge thing for me. How do you think he felt when he was sold into slavery at that point? Do you think that huge thing's going to happen anymore? I kind of doubt he, th he did. 
but he stood up for truth anyway, becomes the head of Potiphar's house, and then all of a sudden somebody lies about him, and he gets put in prison? I got a weird feeling that that, that God thing, he's kind of not thinking about anymore. And I found out that even in my life, sometimes we go through really tough times and we think it's over. God can't do anything with me anymore. And you know what we forget? God is always working in us. He's trying to teach us. There's never a point where God pieces out and says, I'll come back in a couple of years. The Bible says he's constantly pursuing us. And just like he had his sovereign plan for Joseph, and you can see it from beginning to end, even though you can't see your ending, I promise you there's a beautiful ending. I mean, I got a question. I'm just wondering, just weird. I know y'all are in a weird place in life because in college, it's one of the oddest places to be. I get it. It's like my daughter at 15, you do realize like the longest year of your life is 15. Because you're like waiting to get your license. That's like the big thing, right? And it's like every day lasts for 14 years. When you're in college, it's kind of the same thing, right? You're a freshman and you're like, somebody asks you, what are you majoring in? You want to go, nothing. Like whatever, they'll give me something in a year. And then by the time you become a junior, you've what? Changed your major 14 times and then you find out college is really eight years. And you're going through this and you sit back and go, I don't even, I just kind of wonder, just, just for my benefit. How many of y'all truly believe, I mean, just with the rates of hands, how many of y'all truly believe with all of your heart, no matter what you're going through, that you know for a fact that God has huge plans for your life at some point? Okay. The weird thing is, even though we know it, we can't see it, and when we can't see it, sometimes we forget to live it. Hear me when I say this. Being in the pit is part of the process. It's not God punishing you. Waiting to preach, he's not punishing you. He's giving you a process. Waiting for the woman or man of your dreams, it's not a punishment. I sit back and see this whole generation of love. I want, I want, I want love. And you know what I find out? Sometimes you push love so much, we have a divorce rate that's going sky high because you want it so bad. What would happen if you just waited for God to give it to you? You might have to wait till you're 32 for crying out loud. Who cares? But we sit back and say, but what? every single breakup, I see college students going through it. Every breakup you have, oh, this is the end of the world. Nobody's ever going to love me again. I've been there too, by the way. But can I say something to you? It's weird when you get my age because you have a chance to look back. And you know what you start to learn? I dated one girl for three and a half years. I was a dedicated guy. The next girl for two years. The next girl for a year and a half. And then I dated my wife for three and a half months and we got engaged. Okay? Here's what's weird. People look at that process, and this is what I would tell you. I would have never been the man I needed to be for my wife without learning some things in the other three. Bad things, bad decisions sometimes humbling circumstances. But in every situation, I felt like God was punishing. I can't believe I did. God, God, it's a process. In Joseph's life, being in that place was God trying to get him to be the person he wanted him to be because when you were second in command of almost the entire world, it'd be a good idea if you were a good dude. And he's saying to him, hey, You've got a multicolored coat on and your father gave it to you. 
but your real father's going to give you something greater. And when you understand that, it makes a difference. And you say, what do you mean? Punishment process. Let me put it in your language for a little bit. J.K. Rowling, the Harry Potter books and Harry Potter movies. When she wrote the Harry Potter book, she was on welfare. Just read about it. She was on welfare. She made no money. Being on welfare was not her punishment. It was part of the process. Because can I tell you something right now? When you're really poor, you're trying to figure out a way to not be poor. I've been there before. I got a friend of mine that's a real estate agent. And you know what he always says? He says, you want to write a new book or come up with a good idea? Buy a house you cannot afford and you will figure it out quick. And you say, well, what does that mean? I got a weird feeling that now J.K. Rowling is a billionaire. She hasn't written a whole lot of books lately, has she? But she made a huge impact because in her desperation, she probably thought this is a punishment, but in her desperation, she got the most creative mind ever because I sit around and watch those movies sometimes and go, how in the world did she come up with Quidditch? What in the world? How do you sit around? Sounds like a cuss word, right? I mean, like, Roger Quidditch. What does that mean? But she's sitting, let me tell it to you like this. There's a guy, you don't know it because y'all are in LeBron James County, Michael Jordan, by the way. (laughs) Who, whether you think it or not, is still the greatest basketball player that's ever played. Okay, I'm just telling you right now. But do me a favor and go read his story real quick because you know what you're gonna find out? In his story, he tried out for his ninth grade basketball team and did not make it. That wasn't his punishment, it was his process. Because you know what happened that ninth grade year? He said, that's never gonna happen again. And in that year, he became the most competitive individual on this earth. And that's why he's six and O in championship runs. Nobody hates to lose more than him. But here's the deal. If that hadn't happened, I wonder where he would be. We always look at a punishment and like a punishment when it's really a process So I'm going to give you this statement, and I want to take it to the next level, and we're going to go into worship. Are you ready? God's delays are not God's denials. Just because God's telling you to wait doesn't mean he's not going to give it to you. But it's a process that he's taking us through in church, in community groups, and doing all these things. He's trying to get us from point A to point B, and all we can see is point A in our present situation, and he knows so much more. So when you're going out on dates, when you're in relationships, when you lose your job, when you're doing the best you can, and you're reading your Bible every day, and people still aren't letting you teach Sunday school, God's still trying to teach you. He's still trying to take you to a place because you might not be second in command, but the greatest thing on the face of the earth is just to do what God has called you to do. I remember hearing it at the conference, and I'm not sure which pastor said it, but he said it like this. He said, in the Bible, God never anointed an actor. He anoints original people who don't try to imitate somebody else. He said, God's trying to use you. God wants to use you. And you may not see that you're going to be preaching at Pentecost. You might not see you're going to be second in command. But if you can just spend time with him today and be patient, he will get you there. Read Mark chapter 3 just for fun tonight, okay? 
you're going to see a statement in the middle of there where Jesus says something to his disciples. He took them up on the mountaintop and he said this to them. He said, I need you to spend time with me and I will show you how to preach and teach and then I will show you how to cast out and give you the power to cast out evil spirits. Now that's a crazy little statement right there because you sit around and go, ooh, that's what we see. Ooh, I want to cast out evil spirits. Woohoo! Or you sit back and you just go, oh man, I want to preach and teach. That's good. Do you know what the key is? Here's what he said. Uh, forget the other two. Just spend time with me. You can't get to the other two unless you spend time with the Lord. And my hope is that that's what you learn in community. You learn to grow with each other. You learn to bear with one another. You learn to help each other. You learn to pick each other up. Because in the end, we may all come back here 20 years from now. I hope we do, by the way. Can we plan that right now? Wouldn't it be cool if we all walked up? And listen, not even for a popularity thing. Wouldn't it be cool to just stop for a second and say this? We never thought God was going to do this with us. But wouldn't it be good if you just expected it instead of were shocked by it? Do me a favor. Just bow your heads with me real quick. As the guys make their way up. My hope is that somewhere along the line, my heart ended up on some of your hearts. So many times we are in a waiting period like Joseph. And we miss the fact that in those waiting periods, God's just trying to teach us and he's trying to show us and he's trying to take us to places and get us prepared for the great things that he has. And my hope is that I'm speaking to some of you, and maybe there's a few of you out there, that this was the word that you needed. I'm well aware that I don't always preach and it hits everybody the same way, but maybe there are some of you out there that have been in the pit for a long time. You've been in that, that deep, deep valley for a long time. And I make no promises like, well, if you just do this, you'll get out of the valley. Being in the valleys and being on the mountaintops, that's God's job. But the point of church and the point of community is whether you're on the mountain or in the valleys, we are there for you. And we desire to be there for you. That's, that, that's the beauty of overflow. It's not just a service. It's real people living life together. Thank you for listening to the Overflow Podcast. Please feel free to download and share with friends. We ask that you do not alter any of the previous content in any way. For more information about Overflow, feel free to visit us online at overflowdenton.org.